Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Years later, I'm still trying to make sense of this encounter. I'm a science-based believer. There has to be a good reason behind something moving on its own. I didn't in younger years know how to tell people no. I ended up going on a vacation with a fellow I was not into after a lot of persistence from him. Not knowing boundaries, we stayed in his parents' brand new built guest room. I didn't want to do anything with him and also felt a sense of dread and impending doom. He tried to make moves. I became more withdrawn and told him that she was here. She was even though I don't and never did believe in her. He tried to convince me to lay down with him in bed to escape this anxiety he thought I was experiencing. I laid down. He laid down next to me. The second he reached out to touch me, a four-by-two-foot panel of glass above the guest bed right above our heads popped out perfectly and nearly fell on top of us. He, with quick reflexes, reached his hands out and caught it, sliding it onto the floor where it shattered. We both heard the sound of gravel running and a woman crying. Went outside to investigate. Middle of the desert Arizona. Nowhere near a city. 
There was nothing and no one. He didn't believe in her. He did after. I still don't believe in her, but she seems to protect me. His family accused us of doing the deed to the point of breaking the window. We sat in opposite corners of the room after the incidents until the sun rose. This incident occurred on April 29, 1982 in Newport News, Virginia. I was working the second shift as a field engineer at the shipyard and would get home between 11.30 and midnight. I would listen to the Richmond Rock Station at 102.1 mass to relax and sometimes a challenge to receive since it was 80 miles away. This night's reception was excellent and it was 1.30 a.m. before I knew it. I told myself I would listen to one more song before going to bed. About a minute later, I heard some static that is characteristic of weak signal fading on FM. Okay, so I would go to bed now. I turned the stereo off and went down the hall to the master bedroom. Before I could turn on the room light, I noticed an orange glow like a sodium vapor light and some blue-green flashing lights at my back window. I had window shades on all windows since I needed a near dark to sleep during the day when I was on the third shift. I approached the window to open the shade and get a better look. My backyard adjoined a soybean field operated by the Baptist Retirement Home that was on the next street over. I knew they weren't out harvesting soybeans at 1.30 a.m. A voice in the back of my head warned me not to open the shade. I started anyway but was warned again. The shades I bought had the edges curled in the two years since I had bought them, so I was able to see out a narrow slit in the orange glow. I saw a figure about four feet high. It turned back towards the lights and disappeared out of my field of view. I tried to move the shade, but my fingers and arm wouldn't respond. The lights got much fainter and disappeared, all within a few seconds. Then I was able to open the shade. I saw nothing. Suddenly, I remembered the previous events of my life. Enfield kept 1966. In 1974, again I asked them what was happening. I asked if it really was them. The answer I got was, you will know soon. The following morning, I immediately went to my backyard and looked for any indication of the previous evening's activity. I saw nothing. I was very disappointed, for at last I thought I had real evidence. A few days later, I looked out the window and saw three rings touching each other. They appeared to be perfect circles about 12 feet in diameter and from 4-6 inches in thickness and made of a gray-black powder. My next-door neighbor, a retired Air Force officer, was gardening out back. I brought him a grass blade from the area. He immediately identified the material as a fungus common to the area due to the high humidity. He said the fungus typically starts as a small patch, then grows in random shapes outward, sometimes forming rings up to two, three feet over several weeks. I showed him the three perfect 12-foot circles that appeared overnight. He had never seen anything like that. He then showed me several places where some of his azaleas were missing. The dirt was still fresh like they were pulled out by the roots. There was a footprint about five or six inches long near the plant. It looked like someone was wearing swimming fins with no obvious toe or heel marks. He thought some kids stole the flowers at night. He had several varieties of azaleas, and it appeared that at least one of each color was missing. 
I figured it would be little point in telling him what I saw a couple of days earlier, but I gave him a condensed version. I said maybe aliens came from space, spread fungus spores in perfect rings in my backyard, then stole some of your azaleas just for fun. A look of shock came over his face like I'd just revealed a state secret. He was not amused by my whimsical explanation. Instead, he asked me to tell him if I ever saw any little kids messing around his backyard. Sure, I said, I'll let you know. I am Micah, a Native American police officer hailing from the Apache tribe, raised as the daughter of a chief leader. The weight of responsibility has always rested heavily on my shoulders. A string of gruesome ritual murders shocked our community, leaving us all in fear and despair. Determined to bring justice and restore peace, I embarked on a relentless pursuit of the truth. With each step, the veil of secrecy unraveled, revealing a connection between the murders and a haunting secret buried within my own family's past. The realization hit me like a thunderbolt. The killings were not random acts of violence, but a twisted manifestation of an ancient vendetta seeking retribution. The predator lurking in the shadows was not a mere mortal, but a malevolent entity thirsty for revenge. It sought to avenge a betrayal committed by my ancestors, a dark chapter in our bloodline. To protect my community and halt the bloodshed, I had to confront the skeletons of our family's past. In the depths of my soul, I grappled with conflicting emotions, loyalty warring against the truth. The weight of my decisions threatened to tear me apart. In the face of this relentless adversary, I stood firm, armed with determination and the knowledge passed down through generations. I delved into the heart of our bloodline's dark history. Each step was a test of my resilience, each revelation a jagged piece of the puzzle that had tormented us for centuries. As the final pieces fell into place, the truth struck me with its chilling clarity. The predator, driven by its insatiable thirst for vengeance, was closing in on our community. It was up to me to make a fateful choice, one that would challenge my loyalty and shake the foundations of my identity. In the darkest hour, with the fate of my people hanging in the balance, I made my stand. Armed with the knowledge and strength of my ancestors, I confronted the malevolent entity head-on. It was a battle that blurred the line between the physical and the spiritual, where bravery clashed with ancient forces of evil. Through sheer determination, I triumphed. The malevolent entity was banished, its wrath quelled. But the victory came at a price. The wounds of my bloodline's dark history had been laid bare, and I was forever changed. As the dust settled and tranquility began to return to our reservation, I realized that my journey had not only saved my community, but also awakened a deeper understanding of my own identity. The path I'd chosen was not an easy one, but it was necessary to heal the wounds of the past and pave the way for a brighter future. I am Micah, a Native American police officer, forever bound to the legacy of my tribe. In the face of adversity, I discovered the strength to confront my own bloodline's dark history, forging a new path built on truth, redemption, and the unwavering spirit of my people.
started the trail much later than anticipated at around 10 a.m. Decent cloud cover, 80 degrees in the parking lot to start, with lots of people on the trail, only a few markers in less and less people, and even fewer cloud. It's getting spicy out, not even half a mile in. Nobody is near us. Everyone is bailed. Get to the top of a tall dun and confirm there is nobody around. A little further in and we're at the halfway point. Significant other is extremely quiet and raspberry red. I brought two gallons of water for both of us and she had hers. Both of us with long, thin, and loose clothing, wide-brimmed hats. Despite our preparedness, we decide to turn around. Shortly into our return, we run into a human-sized Slim Jim. I mean, this dude is crispy. Baseball cap, cargo shorts, and a short-sleeve polo shirt. No pack, no observable water bottle. He is approaching from the bottom of a dune when the next marker is on top of the dune in front of us. Clearly, he has lost the trail, and just looking at him, I am instantly worried. Use some small talk to get an idea of how long he's been out, how much water he has consumed. Find out he attempted to hike with his wife two years prior, and they weren't able to finish it, and that she recently passed from cancer, and he was going to finish the trail today in her honor. I ask about water, and he has barely touched the 16-ounce water bottle in his pocket. During the small talk, he asked where the next marker is three times it is in front of us at the next dune every time. I ask him to come back with us. He is determined to finish for his wife. He wouldn't be convinced. We watch him walk off incorrectly along the bottom of the dunes for a few minutes then, thankfully, joined us on the return. 99% sure he was going to be toast if he kept going on his own. Eight of us on a rafting trip on the Colorado River. After camping out near the river, we were finishing breakfast and getting ready to continue downstream. A family with small kids docks their boat alongside ours and comes to talk to us. They have a passenger in distress and tell us they are leaving him with us because they are uncomfortable having this dude in their boat with their kids. Apparently, this guy had taken a cheap Walmart inner tube into the Colorado River by himself. The inner tube hit a rock and popped. Dude had been alone in the wilderness for days with no shirt, shoes, sunscreens. It was 90 plus degrees in high altitude, water or food before being picked up by the family. This guy was done, horribly severe sunburns and dehydration. He was also certifiably insane and rambling constantly about batshit crazy stuff. It could not have just been his physical condition. Dude was insane and, even in his diminished state, managed to be extremely creepy and pervy with the girls in our group. Luckily, we had a satellite phone and got a hold of the nearest sheriff's department who was sending a rescue boat. We did not feel safe having this guy hitch a ride downstream, so we gave him lots of food, water, sunscreen, a shirt, and some shoes. We told him to stay put, and we continued on our trip. I was hiking in Cape Scott Provincial Park, British Columbia, Canada, on a trail that doesn't get much traffic. The trail was an out and back to a beautiful beach. There were many different terrains we crossed. Beaches, a small mountain, meadows, swamps, and rivers. 
the rivers we had to ford at low tide going in. On the way up, we missed low tide by about an hour, and the rivers were way higher than we had wanted, but we crossed the first one without too much issue. We then crossed through some forest, maybe about 200 yards, quite possibly much less, and made it to the second river. We looked across for our trail marker and couldn't find it. We had somehow missed the trail and made our own, though it was obvious we weren't the only ones who had been that way. We trekked back to the first river to start the trail again, but we came out at the same place and still couldn't find the trail marker. I think we ended up trying to find this marker for two hours. I wasn't worried. We had plenty of gear and food still, and honestly, I was ready to just hike down to the ocean and back up the other side of the river to comb for the trail marker. All of a sudden, we heard voices coming from the direction that we thought the marker should be. We started shouting toward them, but they didn't respond. We hiked toward the voices and immediately found the marker. We couldn't find whoever the voices belonged to, and as we hiked our way out, we realized there had been no one else out there at all, only our own footprints in the mud. So just some background before getting into my experiences. I've been practicing astral projection, out-of-body experiences, for the past 23 years. So one morning I floated out of my body and there were several aliens standing around me. And I'll be honest, they were creepy, pretty sinister vibes. The energy of individuals and entities is something you can easily pick up on while out of body, and I actually picked up on their energy before even seeing who or what they were. Before even being able to see my environment, as I was shifting out of body, I felt their presence and felt their unique energy signature. So these aliens would make regular appearances for quite some time. And when I say aliens, I simply mean entities that look like the traditional alien. Big black slanted eyes, triangular shaped head, small skinny bodies. They would affect me with this energy that felt almost artificial in nature and it had it had a paralyzing effect on me. They would pull me out of my body without my permission or any intent to leave my body. I've had more strange experiences with these guys than I can fit into a book. I've encountered many different groups or types of aliens during my OBS, but I'm talking about one group in particular that looked like the Greys, but had light orange skin. I've had more encounters with this group by far, and they seem to be lower frequency compared to some of the other groups, some of which I've had rather enlightening and profound experiences with. So the first thing I know about these entities is that they operate in the astral dimensions. They can be found in higher dimensions, and sometimes they actually find you there, especially if you practice astral projection. Many alleged alien abductions seem to actually be cases of people being taken out of body by these aliens and mistaking it for a physical reality experience. Don't get me wrong, both are genuine experiences. They just take place on a different plane of reality. Although I'm certain that many abductions are physical experiences, in my newest episode of my podcast, The Astral Dimensions, I go into detail about some of my experiences with these entities, as well as one particular experience in which we communicate and they reveal some pretty interesting information about their purposes and intentions, 
with myself and other humans. You can find it on any podcast app or site if you're interested to hear more. If anyone here has had any kind of alien encounter involving floating out of your body or even just out of your bed, being in a state of paralysis, passing through seemingly solid objects, etc., I'd be interested to hear about it, so feel free to share. Morning, everyone. I don't know where else to post this, but here we go. When I was seven years old, I lived in an upstairs apartment with my parents and little brother. It happened in the morning time, and everyone else was asleep. But I was awake. Laying in my bed near the window, I heard a lady holler out my name three separate times in a hateful, mean demeanor. Sounded pissed. No such lady ever came to the door. Just shouting. I'm twenty three and I think about it every day. Haven't had an experience like that ever since it happened. Back in February, I was running a trap line and the president of the lease I hunt wanted to tag along. He was a great guy, a pastor of a church in town. So I saw no problem with him joining me on the trap line. We were having a great morning, having caught several coyotes, numerous raccoons, and a bobcat. As we approached the end of the line where I had one DP set up, I noticed the trap was gone, and the ground was torn up all around where the trap had been. We got out of the side by side and walked down there, trying to figure out what had happened to the trap. I always cable my DP is off to trees. We were standing where the trap was, discussing what might have happened when I noticed some bark skinned off the tree the trap was anchored to. I looked up and found myself nose to nose with an angry raccoon. The stream of words that came out of my mouth in front of the preacher were less than holy, but he got the point rather quickly that I meant to move and move now. We stumbled over each other, crossing the creek to get away from the angry critter. I'd say the best part of the whole ordeal was not getting scolded for using foul language that I rarely ever do as we continued our journey. We stumbled upon signs of an unknown predator in the area, something that neither of us had ever encountered before. There were tracks that we couldn't identify, and the uneasiness only grew as the day went on. We decided to continue setting traps, but with a newfound caution. The pastor, usually calm and collected, seemed on edge, too. We talked about the possibility of an unknown creature lurking in the woods, and although it sounded far-fetched, we couldn't ignore the strange occurrences. As we were setting up another trap, we heard a chilling sound echoing through the forest. It was a guttural growl, unlike anything we had ever heard before. We exchanged concerned glances and decided to pack up our things and head back to the safety of the side-by-side. -side. The unknown predator remained elusive, but the fear of its presence never left us. We hurried through the woods, on high alert for any signs of the mysterious creature. As we reached the side-by-side, -side, we breathed a sigh of relief, feeling a sense of security that we hadn't experienced since encountering the angry raccoon. On our way back, we discussed the possibility of the unknown predator being responsible for the missing trap and the skinned bark on the tree. We agreed that we needed to do more research and inform other hunters in the area about our findings. 
Our encounter with the unknown predator had brought a sense of camaraderie between us as we bonded over our shared experience. I'd been working from home, my eyes growing heavy with each passing hour. I decided to take a quick nap to recharge my energy, so I locked the back door, drew the curtains, and settled down on the couch. I drifted off to sleep, the gentle hum of the air conditioner lulling me into a deep slumber. In my dream, I was walking through a beautiful meadow filled with vibrant wildflowers, the scent of lavender and roses filling the air. Suddenly, my dream took a darker turn. I felt as if I was being watched, my every step followed by an unseen presence. I spun around trying to locate the source of my unease, but I found nothing but empty shadows. I jolted awake, my heart pounding in my chest. As I slowly came to my senses, I noticed a chilling draft blowing through the room. Glancing around, I saw that the back door was wide open. Panic set in as I tried to recall if I had left it open by mistake, but I knew for certain that I had locked it before my nap. I jumped to my feet, my mind racing with thoughts of what could have happened. I grabbed the nearest object for protection, a heavy book, and cautiously approached the open door. Peering outside, I saw no sign of an intruder or any disturbance. Feeling a mix of fear and confusion, I closed and locked the door once again. I couldn't shake the unsettling feeling that someone had been inside my home, watching me as I slept. The more I thought about it, the more I suspected that my landlord was responsible. He had always been a bit peculiar, and it was not entirely out of the realm of possibility that he had a spare key. I was in junior high and deer hunting with my brother. My dad had dropped us off, and we planned to hunt our way to another location where he would pick us up. We got half the way to the lake when some dude started shooting down at the lake, like a lot. When we were able to get a look, we saw that he was shooting at what looked like paper plates about 10 to 15 from the shore. We got to the other side of the lake, and the shooting stopped. My brother decided to hide in a bush and scope him to see what he was doing. I realized this was a bad idea. My brother said he's loading his gun, and then says he's pointing it at us. Just then I saw a splash in the middle of the lake near some ducks, and shortly after I heard the bullet pass through the trees over our head. It seemed like it was only ten feet over our heads, but I don't know. The bullets were skipping off the water and continuing toward us. That guy got a few more shots off that crashed through the trees all around us before he heard us yelling at him. He could have killed us. My brother tried to chase him down, and I was really worried what he would do if he caught him. When we caught up to him, he was fifty yards up, a steep hill from us, apologizing profusely. My brother cussed him out pretty good, which was a good outcome, considering we were all armed and my brother was a hothead. So there you go, once again, the two-legged animals in the woods proved to be the most dangerous. Thorndale, Ontario is a place no one in here has likely heard of. It lies just north of London and is home to approximately one woodchuck, two beavers, and a few deer. Jokes aside, I lived in this town as a child and grew up country. Although London Arva was already not that far away, and I did go to a high school in that area. 
Anyways, this little town has woods all around the northern side of it, opposite to London, which at that time was a fair ways south of Thorndale. But these days is not that far at all, maybe a couple miles max, and it was here where we would play as kids in the late 90s, very early 2000s. Because rural internet that wasn't 16K dial-up internet certainly did not exist at that time. One day, while playing out in these woods, we heard a distant but gut-wrenching scream so loud that it hurt our young ears. Somewhere distantly, someone was in major distress. We only heard that scream before there was dead silence. We told our parents, but being kids, we lost interest in what had happened. Me and my friend's fathers went out being big country men, and when they came back, even us kids knew they'd seen something horrible. Years later, my father told me that he found a woman with an axe buried so deep in her skull it, it came out the other side of her head. He did, naturally, call 911, but the person who committed the act was never found. So to this day, Thorndale still likely has a murderer roaming its couple of streets. The reason I posted this here and not in, let's not meet or another more in danger subreddit, is because this was seemingly a homicide targeted at that woman specifically, and it happened a mile or so into the woods, so far away from where we were. To be honest, I'm starting to freak out a little. Of all the spirits I could think of that might have attached to me, none felt quite right. But there was one, a playful, gentle spirit, who I hadn't considered till now. It's dawning on me that our bud might actually be a young girl I once knew during my time overseas. Her name was Ally, the eleven-year-old daughter of our translator Alex. She had taken a shine to me, constantly referring to me as cowboy because I hailed from Texas. She'd speak of her dreams to become a cowgirl, of riding horses and wearing cowboy boots, all in Texas. On every patrol we conducted in her village, Allie would rush to greet us, always with a jubilant cowboy. Cowboy, go Texas. I made a point of bringing treats or small gifts for her. There was a sense of joy in our interactions, a kind of innocence that was so rare in those conditions. One heartbreaking day, we rolled into Alex's village to pick him up for a mission. Instead, we found Alex packing his family into their car, preparing to visit relatives. I wished them a safe journey and promised Allie a soccer ball upon my return. I remember her giggling as she clutched the bag of Twizzlers I'd brought for her that day. A few miles down the road, we came upon the wreckage of their car. An IED intended for our patrol had taken them instead. In my despair, I had thrown caution to the wind, rushing towards the mangled car. I found Allie's foot, still in her sandal, among the wreckage. I remember collapsing, cradling her foot in my hands, overcome by guilt and sorrow. I don't know how long I knelt there, or when I began firing at two men behind a small berm. All I know is that when it was over, they had to scoop up the remnants of that tragic scene with a snow shovel, as a final tribute to Ally, I placed my United States flag in what remained of her small hand. My heart heavy with a grief that has never really left me. Now I think I understand. The casings, the flag, the pig statue, her favorite animal, the boots, and the tapping on my foot like her playful nudges.
It all fits, but is ally. In her own way, she finally got her wish. She's in Texas, maybe even wearing her cowboy boots. The realization is bittersweet and profound. Oh my God, it's ally. Hello. I read about Maria in Puerto Rico and a few other experiencers who were cured of terminal illnesses by unknown humanoids or extraterrestrials. I wanted to add our experience to the record. Please do not use my name. We live near Orlando, Florida. On the night of July 25, 2018, I was sleeping with my six-year-old daughter, who had been suffering from an inoperable cancerous brain tumor. We were in her bedroom when we suddenly awoke to see three tall hooded beings that were standing at the foot of the bed. Each of the beings had a strange glowing aura around them. They seemed to be communicating with each other, but not with my daughter or me. When I attempted to reach over to touch my daughter, I realized that she was unable to move. All she could do was move her eyes. The humanoids then came over to the side of her bed and a very peaceful feeling came over her. The being that was nearest to my daughter bent over and touched her, and everything went quiet. My memory ended at this point. The next day, my daughter experienced a massive nosebleed. She expelled a very large blood clot from her nose, almost gagging her. A few weeks later, I took my daughter to the oncology center for a new scheduled CT scan. Within a few hours after the scan, her oncologist calls me at home. The sound in the physician's voice was of shock and disbelief. I was told that my daughter's tumor was completely gone, apparently removed by a laser, according to the oncologist. He asked me if she had undergone a surgery that he was unaware of. I told him that the only thing that had occurred was the nosebleed and the expulsion of the blood clot a few weeks previous. He asked if I had saved the blood clot, which I hadn't. The oncologist then ordered a battery of tests and other diagnostics. We were told that no cancer or lesions were found anywhere in her body. Three months later, my daughter was declared cancer-free. It has been four years since the diagnosis, and my daughter is very healthy and active. I talked to a woman in Tampa, Florida, a few years ago, who told me of a similar encounter that she experienced. She had stage four colon cancer that had metastasized throughout her body, including her brain. She described the three hooded humanoids that had visited her at home. Her cancer was totally removed. We are living proof that these incidents and miracles occur. The building way out on the north side of our base was abandoned. Water leaked in and caused mold or what not to grow. The kind that would get in your lungs and make you very sick, so no one had been working in this building for decades. All the office furniture was removed, phones and everything. Building was just empty. It was also partially underground. I had walked into the building before while on post with some other co-workers. It was really spooky. Never went downstairs. Building number was 472. So fast forward a few years later, I'm working as a desk sergeant dispatch for patrol at about 3 in the morning. 911. Line goes off, screen says building 472. I'm like, freak the F out, my alpha, she freaks the F out. 
I pick up the phone, 911. What is the nature of your emergency? Click. We send a patrol out immediately. He's like, if that. When we tell him where the call came from, he gets out there, pitch black, nothing. No lights, no nothing. He snoops around, doors are locked, all secured. Don't know to this day how it happened, but 911 calls came out of that building about the same time every few months. The building was demolished and filled in several years back, and no calls from the building since. Not me, but my father. He was in his early 30s deer hunting in Western Mass, 1980s. He was a few miles out from the main road when he came across a frozen human corpse, immediately hiked out and called the authorities. Apparently a few miles away, there was a camp for the mentally challenged. A woman had run off and got lost. My dad never did go hunting again after that. I'm mainly looking for help identifying what creature my cousin may have come in contact with in the following story. I've grown up with stories about skinwalkers, but we both live on the East Coast and the connection seems unlikely. Please comment and share your thoughts. What did my cousin, who we will call a land, see? The story is as follows. Alan was returning home late at night after visiting his girlfriend at her home. Allen lives down a long stretch of road that, while in a growingly suburban area, is still well forested. His house is at the end of the road, across from a pasture that includes a horse and one hog. As Allen was driving towards his house, he became aware of a large white mist that was floating in the air over the pasture area. Allen stopped his vehicle and watched as the mist, seemingly now aware of his presence, began to hover and then abruptly dart down toward the earth. Alan was baffled at what he saw, and then the situation escalated when he realized that on the ground, directly where the mist darted and disappeared, now sat a rabbit. Alan said it was as if the mist entered the rabbit. A couple of things to mention. One, it was late at night, not during the dawn-dusk hours, when rabbits are usually out eating and hopping around. Two, the house Alan lives in is notoriously haunted, but nothing like has occurred before or since. What are your thoughts? Apparently, after seeing the rabbit, Alan floored into the driveway and went in for the night. Was this some kind of SW or other shapeshifter? So, this was kinda cool. I've been pretty bummed the last couple of days. I picked up an old PSE for $40 to learn with and sneak my way into bow hunting. Been trying to get it set up just right and noticed several cracks in the, the lower limb. Heartbreaking since it won't be until about this time next year that I might be able to buy a real bow to learn with and hunt with. I had my hopes up about trying my hand at bow hunting and ditching my boom. Stick so... Yeah, I, I was pretty bummed. I'll admit, I've been moping around a bit since I found those cracks. So last night, I woke up at 214 to some unknown sound. Dog was on the foot of the bed. I could see the cat on the windowsill. Quietly grabbed my pistol and flashlight. Kept it bedside, of course. And held my breath waiting for another sound. Tink, tink, tink. It came from the kitchen. 
quietly get out of bed and put my low-light building clearing tactics to work. Get to the kitchen, not knowing what to expect, but fully expecting to see something out of the norm. But nothing. I slowly and quietly cleared the rest of the house, but didn't find anything. I went outside and walked around the house. Dang, was it cold out there, but did not see any sign of trouble. I went back inside and checked the house one more time before going back to bed. I got back up at four to get ready for work. Before I left, I went to grab my lunch out of the fridge and noticed the magnets on the door formed the shape of an awe with the pictures they were holding up laying on the floor. It wasn't like that a few hours earlier. Guess she's still looking out for me that made me smile. Still bummed about not being able to practice with a bow, but not nearly as gloomy. Dorothy Martin, who had been communicating with aliens by automatic writing, was visited by two men, one an ordinary human being, the other very strange. The former did all of the talking, he said. I am of this planet, but he is not. For half an hour he told her that she should not publicize her information, as the time is not right now. Later she was visited by five young men who told her that what I said was all false and mixed up, and they told me that they were in contact with outer space, too, and all the writings ahead were wrong. The evening of August 21, 1955, was one that would forever be etched in the memories of five adults and seven children who found themselves at the Hopkinville, Kentucky Police Station, recounting a truly bizarre tale. Among the group were two brothers, Elmer and John Sutton, and their acquaintance O.P. Baker, who all stood before the authorities with a story that defied belief. According to their account, they had been staying overnight at a farmhouse when they witnessed an astonishing event. An unidentified flying saucer had landed near their location. As if that wasn't strange enough, what followed was even more bewildering. Little men, as they described them, began to swarm around the house, peering at the terrified families as they desperately sought to gain entry. It was a scene of utter disbelief. John Sutton and Billy Ray Taylor, another member of the group, claimed that they had valiantly fought off these otherworldly beings for several hours, armed with nothing but a shotgun and a pistol. The courage they displayed in the face of the unknown was commendable. Eventually, they made the decision to leave and seek help from the police, leaving the peculiar creatures behind. The descriptions provided by the witnesses painted a vivid picture of these little men. They were said to be short, resembling monkeys with elongated arms and webbed hands adorned with sharp talons. Their eyes were large and striking, set off by an unusual brightness, while their ears came to a distinct point, an artist from the Evansville Press. Larry Hill even sketched an image based on these descriptions, which was published alongside the initial reports of the sighting in the newspaper. Naturally, the Hopkinsville police took the matter seriously and launched an investigation into the incident. However, their findings failed to align with the fantastical account put forth by the witnesses. Outside the farmhouse, they discovered no tracks or any other signs that a spacecraft had landed. The only evidence they encountered were the bullet holes caused by the gunshots fired from within the house. 
Furthermore, another officer reported witnessing a meteor shower in the vicinity, but no flying saucer. As news of the Hopkinsville goblins or little men spread, the media played its part in fueling the curiosity and fascination surrounding the event. It was during this time that the term little green men gained popularity as a generic phrase for extraterrestrial beings, even though the witnesses never mentioned the color green in their original interviews. Unsurprisingly, not everyone readily accepted the notion that the attackers were indeed beings from outer space. Alternative explanations emerged, floating intriguing possibilities. Some suggested that test flight monkeys involved in rocket experiments might have crashed in the area, while others, in a tongue, in cheek manner, proposed that the visitors were nothing more than Democrats turned green with envy due to President Dwight Eisenhower's immense popularity. Decades have passed since that fateful night in Hopkinsville, and the true nature of the incident remains a mystery. It stands as a testament to the enduring allure of the unknown, a captivating chapter in the annals of unexplained phenomena that continues to intrigue and bewilder those who hear the extraordinary tale of the Hopkinsville encounter. Over the past two years, I have repeatedly saw sightings of an inhuman form lurking just beyond clear view. For context, I live in Ohio along the Ohio River, just a mile or two from West Virginia, and the first time I saw what I now believe to be a Wendigo watching me curiously from the wood line just beyond my backyard. I've then seen what I believe to be the same creature coming home from late night shifts. There is a remote turn where I have to turn my high beams off and seemingly intentionally Every time I turn them off, I see a silhouette of something rush across the road on all fours before reaching the other side and returning to a bipedal stance. I've tried turning my high beams on to catch a glimpse of it on several occasions, but cannot react fast enough to catch it. Is there any way this is a Wendigo or any other cryptid?